Well, hello everyone and welcome to another episode of If Not Us, which is a series of conversations with the people who are leading change around the world. I'm so excited about our current guest today. Her name is Eve Crevache. Am I saying that right, Eve? Yep. Great, great. <laughs> um, and she is from an organization called Take This. Today, we're gonna to be talking about mental health and the gaming industry. And if that connection isn't clear to you, then it's about to be. And I'm really excited for the chance to learn from Eve about what's being done in this, in this field of work and um, yeah, why this is so important. So Eve, do you wanna uh, tell us a little bit, just break ground for us. Tell us what does game gaming have to do with mental health? With mental health. Well, um, from my perspective and from the perspective of Take This, um, there's, there's a couple of different conversations here. One is around the mental health of people who play games. Uh, and what's interesting about that conversation is that it, it relates a lot to uh, moral panic mm. uh, and the panic around media use that has existed since the, you know, since the uh, innovation of all kinds of invention of all kinds of media, including turns out newspapers, there was a moral panic about. Um, and, but also understanding, you know, as the technology landscape and the online space landscape continues to evolve, what the ethics and, and uh, mental health needs are um, inside those spaces. Uh, there's also then the conversation about the mental health of people who make games and who uh, participate in online creation spaces like Twitch and YouTube um, as content creators. And that conversation is, um, is, is in some ways very unique because of the way that games are made and the environment and con context um, of them. And then also is, is just about you know, good management practice and good, good um, corporate values and good ethical um, boundaries and um, basic stuff like, you know, work work life boundaries and things like that and separation. And so uh, we do a lot of that work. We do some research and and we and we do, yeah, all of that work. but that's the that's the link there. And um, we decided because games is such a very specific culture and a very specific fandom mm -hmm. that it was the founders of the organization said, well, we need to speak specifically to gamers in a language that they understand and feel comfortable with. And so that's where the, the connection really was made at, in, at the organizational level. Yeah, change from within. Mm -hmm. um, when we say, and this might just sound like, you know, I mean, this is kind of starting at the bottom, but I feel like as we enter into this conversation, um, when we say the gaming industry, who do we mean? Mm. Uh, yeah, well, that's really big. So we mean, um, <laughs> when we talk about it from a player side, let's start there. We're talking about anyone who plays games on their phone, on Facebook, um, on an iPad, on a console, on a computer, um, anyone who plays video games. And in fact, we also talk to a lot of people who play tabletop games. So that means role play playing games like Dungeons and Dragons or Magic the Gathering, some things like that. And there's a whole range of those kinds of games. And um, that, so that's the broad stroke. And then people who make games includes, as I mentioned just now, people who stream games, people who design games as game designers, engineers, people who do quality testing, uh, people who manage communities and interact with the public and, and game players. I mean, it's it's a pretty broad investors and VCs, yeah. all kinds of folks. Big yeah. world, 
big world. It is a big world. And it's a huge industry now. Yeah. It's like a really big industry. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like um, I only recently got into games myself. Um, well, recently, I say, <laughs> but like a couple years ago. And yeah, yeah. I've just been really enjoying, um, yeah, playing around with them. I didn't grow up playing a lot of games, board or video or mm -hmm. otherwise. Um, but yeah, I love a lot of the storytelling, the creative elements, and then the challenges and this increasing online community that's taking place. I feel like, you know, as you know, the internet has evolved, it's been neat to see, like you said, that that world has just exploded. You know, now there's not only people who play them, make them, there's also all these communities that you mentioned on Twitch and such that are uh, watching other people play games. So that's yeah. also an interesting uh, element, to, uh, an interesting layer. Um, talk a little bit about when, when we first spoke, you know, you mentioned that you similarly to myself did not grow up uh, playing a lot of games. And how does this self-proclaimed Luddite hippie end up working in the gaming space? <laughs> So it's a funny story uh, involving my husband. Uh, yeah, I mean, I grew up as the child of hippies in northern Vermont, and we didn't even have a television until I was 14. Um, so I didn't have game consoles in my house. And we played board games plenty um, and card games in our house, but, you know, it wasn't part of my life. And then um, uh, I remember one of the earliest memories I have of when I was dating my now husband in our senior year of college. Okay. <laughs> it's been a while. <laughs> was me sitting on his lap while he played Worms and him teaching me mm. to play this old game that um, has recently come back and there's you know, a revival of it, but um, where you like tried to, you were, you played Worms and you tried to murder each other's team. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> As a worm. And it was, yeah, it was all about, you know, shooting and angles and getting the, the calibration right and figuring <laughs> out how to, to make, um, how to get around obstacles and stuff. And, um, the and and my husband has been um, making games and been in the game industry for about fifteen years and so the, I um, I had been in he his video game yeah okay yeah yeah he he runs a small studio now and I um I had been in nonprofit work my entire career uh, as a fundraiser and as a as a manager and a leader and and my commitment has always been to the to the nonprofit sector and to systems change work and you know I've been. In a variety of places over the years, um, with an, a short stint to when my daughter was very young, and and so we, when I I I, I left a job and and was looking for some some opportunities, and um, Dave reached out to some his network, and and this guy who had started this nonprofit in games around mental health said, yeah, we really need someone who knows what they're doing. That <laughs> turned out they really did. Um, and so, uh, so I came and I came on, you know, as a consultant initially and kind of fell into it. And, and the thing is that, that mental health, men, uh, mental illness and mental health are an issue that's important to our family, um, more broadly, uh, because it affects us personally, um, which is actually quite common. It turns out that's one of the things we talk about is that mm. it's pretty normal to experience mental health challenges um, and mental illness in families. It's, it, the incidence rates are really high and that's very normal. Mm. Um, but it was like, we, we felt like if, if one of the challenges in our family, in our family story is that um, it was so stigmatized that no one talked about it and that made it worse. And so um, 
conversations, we really felt like as a family and, and I personally felt like it was really important to elevate that conversation. And so suddenly here I was with an opportunity in my lap to talk about mental health um, and talk about it in the context of an industry in which my husband was really involved and that increasingly my daughter was really into. <laughs> um, and it just felt like a real opportunity. And, um, and then it turned out that I really like, and we can get into this, but like suddenly it became clear that this was a place where I could do the work that I'd been trying to figure out how to do my whole career. That's really I, neat. Yeah, yeah. We all yeah. find that place. <laughs> I think yeah. Yeah. I feel very lucky to have found it. Yeah. Totally. That's really interesting. Um, and before we dive in a little further uh, into the deep topic, I have to ask, what are some of your favorite games? Yeah. So I play personally a lot of puzzle games because um, especially given that my work is complicated and intense, mm -hmm. um, puzzle games are really, they, they are neat and tidy and they give me a sense of mastery and accomplishment mm -hmm. in a very clear, you know, kind of container. And so I really like playing things like uh, threes and triple town, mm -hmm. which my, my husband made triple town. So I'm into it. So that's a little <laughs> Um, and then uh, as a family, we have all been, it's really funny, I have a 10-year-old daughter and my husband and I, we all got into uh, Mini Motorways, which is this game on, it's kind of a puzzle game too, on, on the app, on Apple Arcade. Yeah. And I, we all like, yeah, yeah, we play it. And then we like, we like, sh we like share each other, share strategy with each other. And then, you know, like somebody will playing over here and the person will look over their shoulder. And so that's been kind of a like low lying theme underneath. Um, and, uh, and I, uh, I occasionally play, play other games. Like my daughter is always trying to get me to play like, um, super smash brothers and stuff. That's like, I don't have the, the hand-eye coordination. I'm not, <laughs> not comfortable enough with, with, uh, controllers to really enjoy it, but I play it because it's fun for her. Totally. Um, and my husband and daughter play a bunch of games together. Yeah. That's really special. And I think that really leads to sort of um, the next conversation. And I think like you've, mm -hmm. you've really pointed out both through your own story and your own experience just now in, in sharing games, how so often games are what bring us together as a community. Um, we enjoy them together, even if we play individually, you know, like you mentioned, trading tips and tricks. We talk yeah. about all the online <laughs> communities that exist out there. Um, about different games and I think like yeah what I'd like to ask you about is aside from the great and good things that are going on and that games bring into our lives what are sort of some of the challenges that you're really seeing uh in the gaming industry right now and that that negatively affect mental health yeah so again um it's slightly different for players and for people who make games right mm -hmm. um but but the one overriding theme is harassment, online mm -hmm. harassment. And um, that has a couple of different uh, root causes. Um, and one of them, the biggest one is that uh, the design assumptions that undergird um, social media and game development um, come from white men and are really uh, laissez-faire and, and hands-off. And that has had catastrophic effects mm -hmm. on the norms and um, and and 
the norms of behavior and the spaces that have been created online. Yeah. And uh, I don't want to understate how serious a problem that is. Uh, it's not unique to games at all, but the games are part of that ecosystem in a very um, direct way. Um, the games itself has been specifically targeted um, because of a couple of cultural and marketing and opportunistic factors. Mm -hmm. um, early in the industry, the, the market, the, the, the connection, the, the identification of people who play games as young white men um, was made and then exploited in a way and, and that, that really reinforced the identity of a gamer as that type of person. Mm -hmm. And also because um, there was such a moral panic around games, around games are cause violence, cause um, mental illness, um, you know, make people antisocial, all of those things, which are not true, but which, which are very strong narratives. Um, that moral panic reinforced the sense of like um, an in-group, out-group mentality about mm -hmm. the identity of a gamer. Um, and, and there's some research that we're looking at right now to try to understand that better, but uh, that's really fascinating. But, but what that did is really reinforce this sense of like, the world is against us and we are allowed to be gamers and other people aren't because that gives us a sense of belonging. Mm -hmm. uh, and that was exploited in, um, in the early years of 8chan and 4chan, like these really underground, the dark web um, spaces um, by people who were looking to develop a playbook for misinformation and sowing discord. And it turns out that the playbook for misinformation, like QAnon and, and the, the 2016 election in the US was developed in um, inside, was tested in the game industry in 2014 in a, with an incident called Gamergate. Yes, yes. And Gamergate was the a large scale harassment and um, uh, hate campaign. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people think that it started in games. It actually started outside games and, and games were identified as, a, as an easy target and it turned out it worked really well. Yeah, marrying that insular community, like mm -hmm. the them mentality mm -hmm. and then, yeah, turning that towards an aggressive um, behavior. Yeah. Tell us about sort of, um, you know, we've talked about how there's there are these problems, right? That they are, there's, harassment and there's a lot of that sort of um, systematic problematic elements within the gaming industry that affect mental health of course um, what what can be done about these things and and mm -hmm. yeah how do you view the opportunity to kind of change these things what does that look like so um the big like I, I'm a systems thinker so the big systems change thing is that you, you have more diverse teams who make different kinds of games that and design different kinds of spaces and contexts and platforms that, that reduce conflict and encourage cooperation and change the idea of what it means, what the norms are around gameplay. Like mm -hmm. that's the big answer, right? And so that's, um, there's a lot of reasons why I'm concerned with diversity and inclusion and representation. Um, and equity inside game studios. Um, but one of the big ones is because of the way that it can transform the experience of being a player, mm -hmm. especially in online games. 
Yeah. Do you have an example that you might point to of something you, something we might be able to see in the real world or like not the real world, right? On yeah. the real now. That's the thing, right? Um, but yeah, something that's so, not well. Yeah. So one of the things is that um, you know, there's there's um there's a lot of games in which that that people play together online in which there's resource scarcity like everybody has to compete for the same set of things in order to succeed and if you there's a there's a balance and this is this is part of the art of game design itself there's a balance of where that scarcity tips over into causing additional strife in the in the game community inside the game that that ramps up antagonism and anger and 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 uh, harassment of each other, and there's a there's a bound there's an inflection point there, and and thinking about that those set of design choices around scarcity versus cooperation, um, or um, cooper uh, you know like collaboration, mm -hmm. and and thinking about those in terms of the behavior that it will generate among players is a specific design choice that can be made. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's, there's also the, um, the, you know, people we, we've been, there's a balance also between setting up a community, uh, even pre-launch in a, in it for a game and developing that community into a place that has positive interaction and positive norms that then can be brought into a game mm -hmm. versus not paying attention to the development and tone of the community until it's too late. Yeah. Um, and that kind of a community moderation, community management skill is really has increased um, exponentially in, in the industry. And that's a really cool place. And you see that um, increasingly across. And then there's all kinds of tech uh, uh, stuff. Like how do you do voice chat moderation in game? It turns out that machine learning and AI development is really at the cutting edge of that process. And it's not, it's like, and there's also tech that's trying to do player matching better so that players are matched with other players like in, in player, versus player games where um, that's a better match in terms of who, what they're trying to do, what their aim is in the game and, and their skill level and their age, or maybe even the language they speak so that some of that friction is reduced from the beginning. And so there's like all these different layers of potential choice making and potential um, culture setting and norm setting. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's fascinating, especially when you brought up sort of what, um... Yeah, what, what do you feel is the obligation um, or role of game makers in moderating uh, the, their communities? Is that something- oh, it's essential, it's essential, yeah. yeah. Um, and that moderation is, um, it is absolutely the responsibility. And, and most companies take that responsibility seriously. Um, some do it with better or less skill and some are, um, making up for lost time. You know, like there's some companies who are like, wow, this developed, you know, five or eight years ago into a really toxic community. And now we're on the, you know, the fifth version of this game and we're trying to catch up. Yeah. And um, I don't envy anyone that job, quite honestly. Oh. But yeah, there's that process. Yeah. Yeah. That's fascinating. So how does, um, I want to talk to you a little bit about the Fair Play Alliance and yep. also how how take this 
how do you kind of integrate yourself into these conversations? How do you, yeah, how do you have these conversations? How do we do it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, I mean, the, the thing that I do is I just try to talk to everybody. <laughs> um, and uh, so the Fair Play Alliance is another nonprofit organization in the industry that is was founded by um, designers and members in the community management and moderation space. So it's all professionals in the industry. And they've worked really hard to develop a set of um, uh, descriptive standards around what what harassment and other types of, of bad behavior are, uh, taxonomy of sorts, and to start to really um, to develop some training and workshops and consulting support with companies around game design mm -hmm. for these issues. And it's really cool work. And, and we've been honored to be part of the advisory and, you know, and, and um, uh, editing process of that document of that of that whole relationship. And so um, and they're also uh, part of a, a larger effort in the industry to develop um, ethical game um, standards, code of conduct or, or ethical standards across games um, that relate both to gameplay, game design and, and game company culture. Um, and, and that's something we're involved in as well. And the, you know, the, the work is, um, it's really literally having lots of conversations with lots of people and then bringing as much of our expertise and, and generosity to the table as possible. So Take This has a staff of researchers and clinicians and um, a lot of resources. And we try to bring that time and, and expertise to the table as much as possible. And that, um, that's how we get involved in these conversations and help to drive them forward. Yeah. yeah that's that's really important work. I feel like um, the last kind of question I wanted to ask you is, what do you feel like is being said, or how do I phrase this? What's the implications for society? Like what, what do our games and the way that online gaming communities, how do they reflect society today? Yeah, that's a great question. It's a really big one. I mean, I think games are both a reflection of and a maker of culture. Um, and that's the thing about games is that it's a really huge category. You've got everything from like silly, like Candy Crush and, and like casino games to um, massive open world exploration games. And they are, they inhabit vastly different contexts and they say vastly different things about the world but um you know when when people most people think about video games they think of the classic person who goes around and shoots things and fights and you know and goes on quests etc cetera, etc cetera. and one of the interesting things about games is that what we understand them to what we have understood them to be for a long time is about uh, mastery fighting and victory. Mm -hmm. And that's a very specific way to think about what a game is. And what's neat is that you're seeing really different narrative structures and really different approaches to game mechanics um, uh, that are not competitive necessarily and not um, based on victory or, or killing or, you know, and that's really cool. You know, like I was just talking to, um, the uh, CEO of Kit Fox Games, which made Boyfriend Dungeon this year. <laughs> and Boyfriend Dungeon is, um, it's all about like going through, like learning, getting, gaining mastery over swords, 
but the swords are have um you date them they are boyfriends <laughs> Some of them are abusive. Some of them aren't. Some of them are really hot. Some of them are douchey. And it's like. <laughs> Very real world elements. It's here. totally awesome. Yeah. And so that, that um, you know, we're thinking about games in different ways um, and in really sweet, sometimes very sweet and wonderful ways. So I, uh, you know, I think the complexity and breadth of what games is, is a reflection of the complexity and breadth of what the world is. Yeah, it's beautiful. Wow, it is actually a big topic. Yeah, yeah, I feel like, like you said, the the world is so wide that you work in. But I, it's really neat that, you know, by helping the makers, and you're helping the players and everyone in between. You know, involving mental wellness and health and uh, well being for the whole community. You know, it's it's really. Um, closely tied together. There are so many more questions that I could ask you, uh, but I wanna make sure I close with the most important one, which is uh, how can people who are listening get involved? Um, how can they contribute to- Yeah, um, thank you. So um, our website, takethis.org is a, is a part of our mission. It's a repository of information. It's a place to donate and it's an access point to our community. And um, people thrive when they are in community, their mental well-being and community and connectedness go really hand in hand. And so you can go to our website. If you want to get involved as a volunteer, join our Discord community. You can find that in, under community resources. If you want to donate, there's a big donate button there. We always can use support to help build our staff and 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 meet our need and meet the need and demand for our services. And then there's there's a big orange button right on the middle of the homepage um, to our mental health resources page. And that's the place where you can get um, access to uh, crisis lines, emotional support hotlines, and lots of other resources on how to find a therapist and how to talk to people who are in crisis. Um, and uh, so if you need something, and you're not doing okay, or somebody in your life is not doing okay, that's the place to go. Well, thank you so much, Eve. Thank you to all of our listeners. And um, yeah, please keep doing the, the good work. And thank you. thank you again for, for spending your time with us today. My pleasure, my distinct pleasure.